Hey guys, this is Joseph. So Peter and I had so much to say about this episode that we wound up going for two hours, and we're going to split this up into two parts. So our discussion of a first part of an episode will be a two-parter, I guess? Anyway, here it is. The sun sets on the third season. It's V'ger Please, a hateful voyage through the Delta Quadrant. My name is Joseph. I'm your co-host, Peter. We've come to it. We've come to the very end of season three of Star Trek Voyager. It has been quite a journey so far, this this uh, year and a half together that we've been doing the show. Uh, when did we start season three? It feels like forever ago. I just pulled the stats on this that was episode 43 for us metal gear suitor Two: pipes of the patriots that was december 4th 2018 true classic yeah <laughs> that was a true classic that was a great that was a great time you know you say that was a great time but i actually went back and re-listened to that uh that episode there was a lot of we shit on that thing pretty hard because you segregated between planet side mm-hmm. and ship side Yes, yes, I, I, I felt that you were going to try and defend it, and I knew that the way to make sure you didn't was to remind you, by structuring our episode that way, of just how shitty most of it was. Yeah, Because they, 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 they sprinkle the seasoning in enough that you don't taste the poop. Yeah. I was like, okay, well, let's take all the icing and put it over here, <laughs> all the poop and put it over here. Now, how's that poop taste, Peter? How's it, it taste? It Does it taste bad? Good. Yeah, it's like you you turned into a hateful monster just in, in my hands. I loved it. That was probably my proudest moment in terms of like turning you around on something. You got me in some hot water. I'm going to tell you that right now. We, oh, did I? We lied on our podcast because <laughs> two episodes ago, which was a uh, super boring, sad sack. Starship a slow invasion hide. of Voyager by a bunch of uh, geriatric people in uh, hobo popats. Yes. Yeah. Invasion of the sad sacks. We called that two until Jerry Ryan. Uh, but that is not truth. And I sat there last night watching this episode with my wife, who has been waiting for seven months to get to the point where Jerry Ryan shows up. And there was no Jerry Ryan to be had. And boy, did I have some fucking questions I had to answer about that one. I got grilled over it. <laughs> she was pissed. Well, I mean, I I feel bad that Casey's gone through this, considering how much assistance she's been to me lately about how to power game going to the uh, Wizarding World of Harry Potter and Universal oh, yeah. Studios. Yeah. I she mean, can teach a college course. On it. She really could. I, she could teach a postgraduate course on power gaming that place. Anybody My ever need to know about Universal Studios Florida throws something up in the trauma support group on Facebook and she'll probably chime in with some sort of an Kate, Casey's got you. <laughs> but at the same time, I think that it's it's very much on brand for us that Casey has suffered, you know, the hateful consequence of terrible disappointment. I mean, it's it's the real trial before the payoff. It's it's part of what we go through here. It put me in an interesting position because we watched, I don't know, three or four seasons of Next Gen just before the baby came and life happened and, and we kind of backed off of that. But, you know, there comes a time in every nerd male's life or, or nerd's life period where you 
eventually try to rope your significant other into watching (laughs) Star Trek. And you have to make decisions like, do I bother with the first season of Next Gen or do we, you know, try and stay loyal and sit through a bunch of garbage? Ultimately, you're going to have to sit there and give give this person a crash course on what the fuck is going on with all these goofy people in pajamas in space. And you have to decide how much is too much and how do you just tell enough to get the point across? So she sat down with me to watch this episode because she has decided she's going to start watching now because she thinks Jerry Ryan's going to be here. And she says, you know, what do I need to know? And that's a very hard question. <laughs> oh, boy. To ask oh a Star boy. Trek nerd, what do I need to know about the Borg? What a perfect time to be asking that question, too, because. Boy, does this episode, it kind of assumes, you know, what the Borg are They go through the process of talking about the the opinions that people have of the Borg in universe. And that serves as a sort of backdoor way of introducing them to someone who's not familiar, mm-hmm. but they do not have that moment of let's break it down. These are the creepy space zombies, hive mind space zombies that uh, are like the arch nemesis of the Star Trek universe. The ultimate bad guys and not, not only just Star Trek, but you know, the Borg and we've, We've gone down this. We've talked about this, right? The Borg were such good bad guys that they transcended Star Trek to become one of the best ultimate all-time sci-fi, if not fantasy villains out there, period. Part of the reason they worked is because the Borg were such a departure from the rest of the Star Trek universe. Like the the lesson of that episode when Q introduced them to the to the Borg was that the ideals and approaches of the Federation were simply not going to matter in the face of a force of nature like the Borg. There are some things that cannot be negotiated with. There are some things that you can't talk your way out of. There are some things that you must have you have to confront and deal with surviving. And that's the the harsh nature of the universe. It's not all, you know, rainbows and gumdrops and uh, holding hands and singing Kumbaya in the end. That was particularly antithesis to everything that John luc Picard stood for, which is why it was such a personal antagonist for him. Not just that they represented everything that the antithesis of him, but then, you know, captured him, co-opted him, used him as a weapon. I mean, all that stuff. The Borg also kind of became this this zeitgeist they came in at the right point really before the internet and the full invasion of technology portable technology personal technology into everyday life so you know they tossed this thing out there that was scary in its own regard but as we as a society have evolved and cell phones and iphones and androids and all that stuff have become more prevalent this human machine hybrid you know buses and and campuses full of people just looking down glued to their screen have become this scary reality and there's this illusion over in the borg of like this you know people walking but not really present uh and that was a a powerful kind of a cautionary tale i guess to to for star trek just to land on a blind shot And we're spending all this time talking about the Borg because 
they're such a big deal. You know, arguably the best next gen movie ever was First Contact, and that was explicitly about the Borg. And that was kind of the last time we had seen the Borg up until Unity a couple episodes ago. And it's just a real head scratcher how you could have a grand slam of a, a movie where you just did it right and and I feel adequately close that chapter out and have the audacity to fucking go back into it the way that they do. Voyager having encounters with the Borg is entirely appropriate as a premise and having to deal with getting through a difficult part of their journey as a consequence of that. It's something you have to handle delicately, but it's doable. And there are actually parts of this episode that I think work really well. There's too much of it that doesn't because they don't know what to do with the Borg to maintain why they're special. And I'm sure we'll get into it. But uh, it is not the Borg that I find the uh, most objectionable part of the episode, uh, but a certain Starfleet captain who, in my opinion, in this episode commits the most egregious, short-sighted, and galaxy-imperiling choices I have ever seen. The fact that they have Janeway do what they do in this episode demonstrates how little the writers thought through the consequences of their actions. Absolutely. Janeway is the trap queen, and she, in this episode, is basically a coke addict who has opened a door and seen an entire room full of cocaine. But instead of cocaine, it is life-threatening bad decisions that there's a very clear guardrail around saying, don't go here. And she just jumps into that pile of coke like Scrooge McDuck and, and inhales it all. She she moves beyond trap queen in there. She becomes, I don't know, trap empress? Yes. She, she ascends into trap godhood. <laughs> The, the teaser is actually a perfect example of what's wrong with this episode, which is uh, that it's a bunch of board cubes kind of rolling in and they're doing the normal resistance is futile. You know, we're going to assimilate, you know, there there's nothing normal about this. Again, we're taking the the best Star Trek toy off of the shelf, right? The big right. baddie, the board. Mm hmm. When they start this episode and I pause, you know, I, I do my little pause thing and just right off the bat, I. So it's a little hair goes right up my ass. <laughs> oh, no. You Not see the your ass. You see the uh, hair up the ass is terrible. You see the Borg cube, which is and I, I'm sitting there explaining to my wife, like why the cube is a big deal. It's the biggest starship and it takes dozens, if not hundreds of, mm -hmm. of regular Federation starships. And one encounter with one of these things forever changed the fate of the Federation and the Alpha Quadrant as a whole for the rest of eternity and how it's all the result of Q's involved. I mean, you really touch a lot of big points. That was such an important episode. You got the Q, you got the Borg. It's, it's all part of the same story. And and the movie that just came out in, in relative to this episode, you know, months prior. Yeah. You you had a federation that had done nothing but prepare themselves to militarily confront another Borg cube, barely able to make it happen. Yeah. Like, and last second, last ditch fighting at Earth. Yeah. And that's one cube. And in this scene, you've got two cubes. You have never seen this much Borg on the screen at the same time. 
two cubes. That's two Death Stars. Mm-hmm. And what happens, man? It's 10 seconds. They start laying out the, uh, you know, we're going to assimilate you, resistance. Boom, boom, two shots. One for each of these cubes. Two cubes blown the fuck up. So before we even know anything about what's happening in this episode, at all, okay, at all, what we have is the writers going out right in front and saying, yes, this episode is going to be about something so powerful and so next level that they turn the Borg, the 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 most powerful thing in the entirety of the Star Trek universe, into jabronis. The gold get, standard. Get one shot. Yeah, they get one shot. And it's like, what the fuck? Really? Fucking really? Because, like, I obviously know what's going to happen. You kind of already know what's going to happen. And it's just an unfortunate and tragic reminder that what they're going to have Voyager do is solve this problem, right? Like, they're going to, they're going to, they're going to solve the space conundrum of the, of the dudes that can turn the Borgs into chumps. There's two ways to establish someone's a badass. One is to have them prove to you through a series of personal achievements uh, that they are worthy and great. And the other is to find the biggest guy in the room and beat their ass. That's the lazy prison way of doing it. And that's exactly what they did here. And man, I don't know what they were going for. And I really wish that I would have been around to watch this stuff the first time. Cause maybe 18 year old me would have felt different about this, but watching it now, I was just like, what the fuck? And my wife's standing there and, you know, she doesn't really understand the gravity of what happened, but it was such a quick exchange before they start rolling credits. I want to say it's like maybe five seconds. And Casey's like, uh, so what happens if someone was in the kitchen getting some popcorn on their way back in? I said, I, I don't know, because if I was in the kitchen getting popcorn and this thing was airing for the first time in 1997, when did this come out? Yeah, 19, May 21st. May 27th, yeah. Um, and you told me that there were two Borg cubes and they both just got blown up. They both got one shotted. I wouldn't believe you. And we wouldn't have TiVo back then. There would be no way to prove this. That would be a very bad five seconds of TV. Or maybe it would have been a blessing because you wouldn't have seen this nonsense. Uh, But that's how they've set the stage. There's something out there that you take one of the best Star Trek next gen movies ever. And the struggle the Federation face. And I got something that just pew pew. Bye cubes. We cut then to the holodeck. Because uh, what we have is John Reese Davies. Mr. Amiax himself. Yes, Mr. Gimli himself. Uh, Sala from the Indiana Jones. Yes, Professor Arturo from Sliders. Wow, you knew the name. That was a deep one, Joe. Fucking Sliders. I love Sliders. Jerry O'Connell. Cubo. Quinn. Quinn. Yeah, I could. I, I remember Professor Arturo because he was obviously the best character on the show. Uh, but I desperately remember uh, uh, fucking Sliders. The shit was on Fox. All I remember was about on- Sliders was there was a, a rusty gate and they thought that they didn't get to the right home. And then they left and they find out that the dad had just WD-40 did it. That's that's all I remember about that. Yeah, that was like always the test. Mm-hmm. And then, uh, yeah, uh, God, there's there's a lot of good episodes of that show. I really enjoyed it. 
but uh, he's a big get. John Reese Davis is a guy. Like even in 1997, he's a, he's a that guy, right? It's obviously pre uh, Lord of the Rings where he'd be like really that guy, but uh, he's playing uh, a poorly made up uh, with the world's worst stage facial hair, uh, Leonardo da Vinci, in a holodeck simulation of the captains where she is living out some kind of weird fantasy where she is uh Leonardo da Vinci's like um co-worker or something sharing apprentice. some apprentice sharing some workspace as he as he does like steampunk stuff <laughs> yeah this isn't it's just hot. Catherine Janeway's weird fantasy this is this is Kate Mulgrew um I read the the wiki and this whole let's just call it waste of time (laughs) this whole waste of screen time that takes up a considerable chunk of this episode right in the wake of you know this massive feat of dragon ball z proportions we we get dragged into this fucking hollow apple and i'm gonna go ahead and record right now and say i i wish this was the weird bodice ripper duchess romance Yes, novel. this would be way better if this was the continuation of the bodice ripper from season one and two. But instead, I mean, Kate Mulgrew had this weird Leonardo da Vinci fantasy, and she talked the writers into working this thing, and they decided that this is the right point to put it in the the season finale. So there's like, and they and they fucking got Jean Rhys Davies for this. Like, they didn't just shoehorn this in with some you know some some fucking dude, some L.A. actor that you know got the part no no they went and got a guy who gets special guest star name checked in the in the very first uh shot post credits yeah like a guy big enough deal that they have to give him like the the special guest star billing so she talks the hologram into letting her have some some studio space for whatever her new personal project is going to be big waste of time She's in the middle of the end of the, well, she's towards the end of the conversation and they lay one of the famous captain. You're going to want to see this come down here. I'm in a position of leadership in my work, Joe. I cannot stand when people do this with me. Like if it is important enough for me to walk my ass over and and check something out, tell me what it is up front so I can start working on the problem before I walk five minutes to get over there. I completely agree. Um, Give me at least a sense. Like I understand if it's too complex and you're going to have to show me details. Mm hmm. But like, you know, tell me like, hey, this is the nature of the problem. Please come here so you can see the exact, you know, nature of the issue, like the exact details of the issue. But you know what, (laughs) Peter, this is this is fucking television. I know it's Star Trek. You got to build that. You got to build that that suspense. I hit pause so I could sit there and and bitch about that specifically. And as I hit pause, it's right as Janeway dismissed the holiday, the the simulation. (laughs) <laughs> and it's just a shot of the empty holodeck. My wife starts getting mad. She's like, oh, God, not this again. Because I threw the picture of the holodeck up from um, Distant Origin. And I spent a lot of time trying to take these pictures, count squares, like just how big is this holodeck exactly? So she thought I was going back. And then I was like, no, but. No, no, no. I'm going to bitch about something else. <laughs> now that you mention it, I see that there's eight lights, not six lights running vertical. The ceiling's higher than I thought. I have to go back to the discussion thread on the Facebook group. This is new information. So she she caused a problem there, not me. I, I wouldn't even thought to start nitpicking. But 
she gets down to engineering and you got Torres and Chakotay and they do not look happy. So what has happened is they have apparently sent out uh, long range probes, which if my memory of my Star Trek technical manuals proves correct, there are long range probes that have warp, independent warp capability that starships are able to send out. So it is pr- plausible that as you know, Voyager's, spends its time sniffing roses as it does they're like well this is our linear path forward so i'm going to send out my like class nine warp probe i'm going to send it out in front and it's going to kind of like get in front of me a little bit and be able to send me telemetry and information about what's out there before i get there like whiskers from ds or uh, sequest yes wow man we are deep in the 90s tv references i fucking Uh, loved sequest it was star trek in the sea as far as i was concerned yeah darwin hurt (laughs) (laughs) in my mind i always confuse the sequest dolphin with the junky ratty cyber dolphin from johnny mnemonic (laughs) okay all right that makes sense Um, there's there's they are similar i get it yeah they're both super dolphins uh one of them just got to work around michael ironsides yeah, no, the, the the sending out advance probe is certainly the least of the stretches of imagination that we're expected to do in this episode. To- totally legit move here. Although if we want to talk about the T word, you know, telemetry, we did <clears throat> map the entire known galaxy and you know, Tommy uh, shuttles. Yeah, yeah, a little bit. Well, anyway, point is uh, they get, they got information back from the probe and it's a handy dandy uh, DVR of uh, you guessed it. It's the Borg. And they quickly have a staff meeting where they do some good continuity, like uh, gut checks. And they're like, okay, so what are we going to do? Well, the doctor points out we got a Borg corpse. They say three months earlier specifically. So that's yep. how long ago Unity was. Was that? No, that was, it was pre-Unity because Unity is where no, they no, it was, the Borg. It's the Unity was, Unity blood fever. was the Blood fevers when they when they saw the the decayed corpse on the planet, but I'm pretty sure the reference in Unity was to the one that they recovered from the uh, cube that was more fresh. Because we know they right. beam that we know they beam that one onto. The Fair ship. enough. Fair enough. So that was three months. What, three months is like twelve episodes ago, something like that. So hey, here we go. Problem a week. I'm just saying I'm 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 re-est- reestablishing we're to a pay period around here on Voyager. You got to earn your keep. Mm-hmm. They've been trying to figure out something to do with uh, a word that you will learn to fucking hate for the rest of your time watching fucking Voyager. And that is Borg Borg nanoprobes. Peter. Holy fucking shit. Do they ever like. The writers, you think they're lazy now? Let me tell you the fucking nonsense rabbit holes that they go down using the phrase Borg nanoprobes as their go-to technobabble excuse for whatever dumb shit they come up with. Let's do this, Joe, because we're going to hear Borg nanoprobes so many times and because I can see exactly it's it is going to be the go-to technology that just you rub it on the wound and it makes all the plaque away. Let's just start calling it for our purposes, fairy dust. 
<laughs> Borg fairy dust. Sure. Fairy dust. Yeah. And this is the very first time it's introduced, so it's actually much like it seems cool now of like, hey, I just decided to start dissecting these things and trying to figure out if I can like reprogram them like little computer like viruses, which, you know, makes sense with the whole Borg thing. But well, weren't uh, I mean, didn't they have those in first contact? Like, I know they had the assimilation tentacles. What, what, they was- never talked about Borg nanoprobes. Until now, okay, in the so way that they're going to. In yeah. first contact, it was just you get jabbed in the neck, you are ostensibly drugged, and they drag you off and do something. Right. Like, you get... It's it's always been implied that there's basically Borg juice mm-hmm. in everyone's Borg veins, and it, they kind of get you, because yeah. it's the whole zombie thing. It's the Cubade. Yeah, it's, it's the Cubade. What they unfortunately do here is open a door that subsequent writing staffs just, like, kick down, break into splinters, and it's awful. He's way overused the concept of Borg nanoprobes. This meeting starts off in a great way. And it's like, we've known this day was coming. Yeah. And and now it's here. The and Borg... we're as ready as we're going to be. Like, we've been doing research. We're going to defend ourselves. We got the fucking phasers on like a on a varied modulation so you can get some good shots in. You know, we're going to we've got our fucking eyes up everywhere. We're going to stretch all of our supplies. They like they're. Seriously, like going through the yeah, we knew this was going to happen, and we're we, we're going to put our best effort forward. My thing about this, so when they started Voyager, did they know that there was going to be a Borg element? Unknown. Clearly, they were going to try and reach for some new exciting stories, Kazan, uh, Vidians, et cetera, et cetera. And ultimately, here we are going back into the next gen toy box, but. We've been gearing up for this for a while. I would have liked to see at some point there be some discussion with some of these races in the Delta Quadrant about, hey, do you guys know what's up with the Borg, where they're at, where their boundaries really start? Like, I have to believe that every fucking person in this area knows goddamn well where Borg space begins. And there is a big do not go past or like maybe even if they would have said, like, people don't go through the necritic expanse because somewhere beyond there is Borg space. And that's a good place for us to start calling it safe. You talked before during the sad sacks, like what if they've got these ships that they're jettisoning, um, you know, prisoner pods off as like decoys to get cubes off their ass. That's the kind of stuff I thought there, there should have been everybody. I mean, the Borg are such a big deal. Everybody everywhere should know where exactly these guys are and, and where to stay away from. This is a kind of a failing on the part of the writers in that they, they, they kind of gave themselves the opportunity to do that. Starting with blood fever. That actually kind of sort of sets the stage of like these desperate survivors on the edge of like the, where the Borg have been mm-hmm. right. That whose whose entire existence has been bent by the fact that they had this brush with the Borg and some of them survived. And then you had the unity where you had the Borg survivors of this random accident and the impact it's had on them. And we talked about how, like, with the sad sacks, like, if these were just, like, these technological scavengers and this is how they get by, like, when you live on the edge of Borg space, it's every fucking man for themselves, you know? Yeah. And, like, that's this part of why they do this and they don't fight because they can't afford it. Like, they need every scrap of technology. Every resource has to be used to fend them off. And, like... Going all the way back to mid-season when they went into the Necrid Expanse, like, what if, like, then they teased, like, that it's, like, this barrier that somehow prevents this, there's these stories of this great force that lies 
beyond the expanse. And like it's this border area, then they, you know, like they don't cross it. There's like some tech reasons the why the board can't cross the Necrot Expanse or something like that. And there's all these things that they kind of had that they did a little bit with, or they could have done more with, and it's all there. And instead, we've had like five episodes in a row where there's been no fucking mention of the Borg or the fact that they've been creeping ever closer to Borg space. And the whole of the galaxy should be melded around the fact that whatever's still surviving as the Borg with their fucking neighbors should be in a desperate situation. I, I want I want to pursue this further because I'm going to go into a conversation we had off air. This is a very dangerous proposition. Um, and, and one of my big concerns about this rep- the rest of this episode is going to be the what I feel is a lack of plausible terror on behalf of the crew that they, you know, if there's one thing that should scare the Federation more than anything else, or one thing that should scare the Federation period, maybe not the Romulans and Klingons, you know, peace, diplomacy, all that other stuff, you know, brighter future. We can look the other way, even on terrorists working side by side us, but the Borg are the one thing you can't negotiate with. And like I told my wife, you know, becoming a drone is basically supposed to be a fate worse than death. It is. Yes. It is explicitly a fate worse than death. It isn't that you die. It's that you remain aware of your actions, unable to control them and turn into a weapon against everything that you ever valued. And no matter, even if you get unplugged from that, all of that experience stays with you forever. The prospect of becoming a Borg drone should be the worst thing possible to everyone on that ship. I think I would have bought everything much more if at some point Janeway did what she's best at and like talked about how she's going to blow the ship up to avoid that. Like that, that might've sold it, but instead there's just none of that. I would have liked to see in the past three episodes, past four episodes, past five episodes, just little parts of conversation of people talking about their anxiety about, you know, eventually we're going to come into Borg space. I'm afraid I'm brave. I'm doubtful. Maybe I'll stay behind. Just little stuff like that to start world building. What is going to be this big deal? There's none of that. And I feel like it's, this is, still at its core, a last minute decision on behalf of the writer's room to play the board card and that there was a failure to commit at the beginning of the season, say, all right, this is the way we're going to go. The Borg are going to be here and let's build a, let's build a storyline, a story arc. And it said, this just kind of pops in out of nowhere and it feels weak. I like in this briefing also, they start talking about what Borg space is at this point. It is hundreds of systems. It is thousands of planets. It is billions and billions of of drones active on these planets. And just that was kind of cool to think about, because all we've seen so far is, you know, the Borg come by, they scoop people up, they assimilate them and back they go to wherever. But full on Borg colonies. What what is that really? And then I got me to thinking, do drones die off of natural causes? Do drones decompose? Are you basically pickled and a drone forever because if drones do decay and you do have entire planets harvesting resources and all the other shit that the Borg are doing on these planets and their population, you know, they're not a bunch of vampires that live forever. Now the cubes going out and scavenging and assimilating and bringing people back to replenish their own numbers since they can't reproduce naturally anymore become something pretty cool to think about. 
I think the implication is is that they do. I should say, unfortunately, there's more explanation <laughs> of this later, like in ways that don't improve your feelings about how they handle the Borg. You know, it's sad. Uh, but uh, yeah, the the idea that they're in this the shit here is fine. It's just that like here's a quick rundown of all the episodes since the Unity where they could have done things to to prepare the viewer for this by talking about the the either the galaxy or the or the show or Voyager itself's anxiety about what they inevitably are going to encounter that they know is now inevitable. Uh Darkling when they're with a bunch of space gypsies who travel around could have done a lot there, right? Space truckers, yeah. Space truckers would have known all about it. Rise where you had basically two civilizations fighting it out for colonization space. Mhm. Could have done something there. Uh, uh, urinal fa- puck people. The favorite son with the, the, the crazy cougar planet of the uh, sex <laughs> vampires. Like they have to reproduce this way and stay super isolated because they're on the edge of Borg space mm-hmm. before and after probably wouldn't have helped too much. That was time travel. Uh, real life didn't have much going before on and after it would have been perfect because Kess could have brought back knowledge like, oh, shit, Borg are up this way. And they caused a lot of problems. Distant origin with the fucking dino people and their fucking trans warp and their city ships. Mm-hmm. All the bullshit. That, like uh, nothing. Not a not a word. And then you know, sad sacks. We already covered that. So so many like things where you could have sprinkled in how the Borg has created these circumstances or caught or or melded the circumstances and there's none of that but what we something, get something anything would have been appreciated it's a failure to commit it's a failure to commit on behalf of the show on a cohesive story instead we get a we get a fine briefing scene and everyone kind of you know breaks the huddle to execute on being good job doers and that's when they start to they really start to up the ante comically <laughs> with the montage you know, they, they have the montage of like them, like doing the like this. They, they, they're like got this like cart with like a, a bunch of bins on it. There's like, get out of the way. We got a bin. They got they're passing out pipes in the engineer and engineering where they keep all the deadly weapons. You know, yes, still at the top of the warp core. We established that in macroism. Yes, I cannot think of a worse place to keep the grenades and the rifles than on top of your fucking doomsday engine. But what do I know? Handing out pipe after pipe. You know, they're kind of like showing all oh, this. The voyage is girded for war. They're going to fight the Borg. You know, given you trying to give you that that first contact feel, they're like talking about how they can seal off parts of the ship sooner if they get boarded. And after that, they, in fact, have an encounter with the Borg because what Voyager is trying to do is head to a, a portion of Borg space where, for some reason, there's no Borg activity. And they call it the Northwest Passage, which is that fabled passage that you could travel by sea, basically, through North America. It was the whole Lewis and Clark thing. And, uh, you know, they, they want to get to this area of space that just, for some reason, has no Borg uh signatures in it whatsoever not deciding amongst themselves like that there might be something other than gravitational weirdness that's keeping the board completely out of this area they're like oh it's fine let's ride the rapids it'll be great and um yeah tom will get us through it'll be fine 
he's driven through worse. He's if he can navigate prison as much as he navigate <laughs> navigates the space, if he he'll can be fly fine. through space twisters. That's when Harry uh, reports that, uh, in fact, there are Borg signatures around them that are coming in a trans warp, and it's one, two, five, and then fifteen cubes show up out of transwarp there's so much turbulence from the subspace bubble that it forces voyager out of warps so it's basically this giant like this this ripple through subspace that's like voyagers is getting bucked through that it from all of these cubes 15 cubes again we've only ever seen one one cube's enough to 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 take the fucking federation for a ride right Mm-hmm. 15 cubes is enough to conquer the whole fucking galaxy as far as the average Star Trek Voyager uh, Star Trek uh, viewer is concerned, right? 15. I'd say 4 would realistically be enough. I'm split on this thing. Um because it's stupid for all the reasons I already harped on having two on the screen at the same time where but you know, the effect of 15 cubes blowing by Voyager like that was I will admit kind of cool to watch even though it's bad 97 cg but they did their damnedest i'll give them that yeah and and i will tell you the memory alpha that the production staff was very proud of this scene one of the last cubes to fly by stops for a minute they blast them with a aliens style green vertical scanner that goes over everybody on the bridge and then the last cube speeds off we are falling down very squarely and we've we've talked about dragon ball z and how you can paint yourself into a corner like how do you really demonstrate someone's power after you have frieza flick his wrist and cut namek in half with one gentle swipe and the only way to do it is to just move into absurdity you've blown up two cubes no big deal now we really need to set the the, the table higher here's 15 of these fucking mega ships well, I wonder what's going to happen. So the the Borg cubes speed off to wherever they're going to speed off. Voyager's like, the fuck was that? What the fuck is going on? Uh, Janeway and Chakotay have their first of their two kind of important scenes in the episode as Janeway like goes through all the logs of all the captains that ever encountered the Borg, including you know, obviously name checking the enterprise and John Luke Picard specifically as part of that. And Chakotay, th- this is the party episode that I really liked was Chakotay. Like without a, a tinge of irony, Chakotay gets my gold fucking star for this episode. He's, I think the re he's, he's the audience surrogate. <laughs> I don't know if that was on purpose, but he is the, he is the, common sense Trek fan surrogate throughout this entire episode. And in this one, he's like, you know, listen, we got to think like, what are our options here? And Janeway real, you know, realistically summarizes it. We've got three. We, we can try and like force our way through Borg space. We can try our luck in the Northwest port passage, or we can go the other fucking direction and find some other part of the Delta quadrant to call home and just not try and do this. And Chakotay is obviously pushing a little bit for, hey, just because we might not decide to do it this way doesn't mean we'll find another way home. We've run into a bunch of weird shit around here. You know, like, never say never. 
but at the same time saying, listen, you're not in this by yourself. We'll do this together. You know, I'm your, I'm not just your first officer. I'm, I'm your, I'm your dude. I want to get, I want to get in your pants. I might have been there sometime in between when the monkey was there. You know, Casey has me pause and she says, "Are these guys dating?" And I'm like, "Man, that's two episodes of pod. Like officially, no, but probably yes. Like, welcome, welcome to this goddamn show. They definitely banged on that planet. Come on, he built her a tub." Got she, her towels. The monkey was you know. too distracting, man. She she wasn't having. <laughs> was this before or after Kessa's vision? I can't remember. It, it was before this because the the vision happened, I think, after the uh, pr- the uh, meeting that they had, but before this scene. So Kess has a vision, and it is a pile of dead Borg ripped apart and put in this Game of Thrones White Walker funeral pile we'll talk more about that in a little bit but she's relayed this on the captain the captain says uh something along the line and it's important to this conversation you know we can't just ignore kess's premonitions because every time the they happen i mean she's got a pretty amazing track record at this point like she doesn't really throw any duds out so we can't ignore kess's premonitions but we have no real reason to stop um Maybe the death and dismemberment and Voyager completely destroyed are great reasons to stop. And that's exactly what Chakotay starts tapping onto. And it's like you said, his surrogate, he is a surrogate to the audience. Because right here at this point, it's like, listen, man, what what do you think is really going to happen here? We've gone on at length now about how big of a deal one Borg cube is. You can have your phasers on modulation and you can be moving boxes around the hallways very busily and ultimately it's not going to matter the enterprise can't go toe-to-toe with a board cube the entire starfleet armada cannot go toe-to-toe with a cube so your expectation that you have a shot in hell against one cube is ridiculous you just saw 15 of these fucking things fly by you have a 0.0 chance of success in any sort of altercation with the borg in this part of space this is a no-win and Chakotay is completely right in this. And when Chakotay starts saying all this, I'm like, yes, the only thing that this scene is missing is Tuvok also being in there laying down some real talk. I th- I think that would have been prime time for him to be like, listen, we've done some crazy stuff and we've gotten lucky. 15 cubes. This is unprecedented. This and is then, a no win. And it's like, that's just a taste, right? Like, this is Borg space with Borg colonies. And God knows how many of those things happen. Let's say we get lucky. We encounter the Borg. We come up with some fucking one in a million plan and manage to basically kick sand in its eye and get away scot-free, right? Let's say we fucking, we roll the hard six and we get there. How many more times are we going to have to do that to traverse what is probably thousands of light years? Like, it's just not going to happen. Like this Northwest passage, how long are we going to have to fucking stay in this thing? How many years are they expect? Like, this is Borg space. That this is where they rule. The fuck is out here that could even give us any hope of surviving it from a matter of weeks and months on the outside. You'd have to do it for years. Chakotay also says something important. It's that retreat from here isn't us abandoning the cause. It's us looking at alternate possibilities. You've encountered the Skeevians. You saw that the Skeevians had the technology to throw Voyager 
huge distances with their weird planet transporters. The technology's out in the Delta Quadrant that is beyond Starfleet and the Federations. They encounter the fucking dino people who have transwarp. Yeah. Personal, like they just did that a few weeks ago. You've had three seasons of fantastic technology and crazy shit. Chakotay's just hitting the nail on the head over and over again. And Janeway just ain't having it. She believes that there is going to be some shred of hope and that they are not looking at this insurmountable odds that everybody else clearly sees. Uh, And they wrap on a note that says uh, basically, you know, Chakotay still hopefully says, you know what, we're going to go through this together. I believe in you. The crew believes in you and we can do this. And, uh, you know, we'll see what happens together. They end up getting notice that, you know, shocker of shockers. I, I hold on to your, hold on to your ass, buddy, because the board cubes all seem to have gone dark. All 15 of those board cubes have passed them by. All of a sudden, their energy signatures gave out. Janeway seeing the door open and the endless array of traps in front of her obviously cannot help herself and immediately has Voyager go directly to where all of the fucking board cubes are in hopes of figuring out what's going on. I put my notes fucking dumbass decision number two. Yeah. And I, I had in my notes because it was in the forefront of my thoughts. Anytime she gives the order to ready the weapons, fuck the weapons ready the self-destruct button yeah you're dealing with a fate worse than death this is the nightmare of everybody on this ship you've shown no hesitation to blow the ship up before you're not going to win any of these fights and if you think that this is worth going in there and dicking around for i think it's the least you can do for your crew to just fucking kill everybody before they get perhaps the only thing worse than organ harvested in the delta quadrant and that's assimilated So she flies into this big, ridiculous graveyard now of half blown up cubes, and they start scanning, wondering, oh, gee, what could possibly have happened there? And the only trace they find in this entire basically Wolf 359 part two, the tables have turned. Is one tiny little bioorganic ship that looks like a. I don't know, a fish, maybe (laughs) it looks like the little. It looks like the little uh, submarine from Phantom Menace that Qui-Gon and and Jar Jar have. (laughs) Okay, so let's let's take a second on this. There's 15 board cubes. They decide Voyager's not worth the time and they go off to do something else. Voyager's like, holy shit. How lucky are we? We just dodged infinity bullets. We would have been the most dead Starfleet crew ever. All 15 of these cubes get somehow blown up. They're like, let's go fucking see what that's about. Typical right? white okay. people move. So, yeah. yeah, that is totally yeah. white people. There is a fire. There is a monster. There is something terrible happening. Everybody's running. And a couple of white people are like, I need to go look and see what's going on. I here. need to see what that is. I'm very interested. So, so these fucking tourists decide, well, you know, what's the worst that could happen? We could run into a bunch of board cubes or we can run into something powerful enough to st- destroy 15 Death Stars. Let's go check it out. And they get there and they see all 15 board cubes, each of them a match for the Federation's best ships in in total, right? 
all gone with a single ship that they have found that appears to be the responsible party. Okay? One has blown up 15 cubes. They find it. They're like, hey, let's go, uh, let's go beam over there and like fuck with them. <laughs> let's these guys just blew up 15 cubes. Let's go mess with that. I mean, okay. If I'm fucking, if I'm, I'm the captain of Voyager and I'm in the situation for some reason, I like show up and I am in a graveyard of 15 cubes. And there's clearly one thing here that doesn't belong and is the only other thing that could possibly have been responsible for destroying these things. You know what I do? I'm fucking showing my belly. I am not going anywhere fucking near that thing. I'm going to broadcast on every frequency. Hey, whoever you are, I want to be best friends. I will give you whatever you want. You are God, right? Like you just, holy shit. Oh my God. Whoever you are, I'm on my hands and knees, whatever you want. I will never go. Just go the fuck away from whatever you are. like. Do whatever you're going to do guys. What, whatever you're keep it up. Good job. Good job. This, this is incredible. Just on the face of it before they even have any other knowledge, right? Before they have even a scrap of other knowledge, they know 15 Borg cubes just got fucking smoked by whoever the fuck these guys are. It's like, holy shit. This is the greatest boon to the galaxy ever. I am totally not going to beam over there and piss them off. I wouldn't even gotten to that point. I wouldn't have even made it out to the graveyard because I think once she gave the order to pursue and check out what was going on, where 15 cubes are, uh, on the scale of when is it time to mutiny, this is a 10 out of 10. Yeah. Especially in light of the workforce mutiny simulator and a very passionate and logical explanation by Hollow Chakotay about <laughs> what was the exact quote about, you know, vaunted Federation ideals and, and dangerous side missions. Fuck that. The, we, we are beyond any shred of, of common sense at this point. Janeway needs to go. End of story. <laughs>